is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hello, everyone. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 402, recorded on Tuesday, October the 30th, 2018. Jason, welcome to the program. How are you doing today? I am doing fine. In uh, They call it Devil's Night down here. Up in the Sioux, where I'm from, they call it Devil's Night, the night before Halloween. So Halloween Eve is Devil's Night. I didn't know that. Yeah, people go around. When I was younger, uh, they would go around and do stupid things like egg houses and start fires and stuff. And, and and so they reserved that bad behavior for the night before Halloween, not Halloween. That's right. Interesting. Is it because they were too busy trick-or-treating on Halloween, or is it just I, too I really, obvious? I really couldn't tell you. Devil's Night. All right, let's look this up here. I didn't think about this for years and years and years. Anyway, October 30th, or as I like to call uh, Halloween, Halloween. I saw a sign one time driving between... Uh, uh, Las Vegas and uh, Los Angeles, that uh, there was a big sign that said, Happy Halloween. So ever since then, I, I think Halloween. Interesting. I think that was also used in the Angry Birds Halloween version of the video game. Oh, there you go. Hamoween. It might have been Barstow. I think that's halfway between Vegas and LA, isn't it? Mm, I couldn't tell you. I'm not sure. I've never done the drive. But it is the night before Halloween. Uh, are you all ready for the big night tomorrow? Uh, Yeah. As in you have some treats to hand out at your door or something to dress up Jasper in and ready to go? Well, uh, we bought a bunch of chocolate and there might be some left. So, yeah. <laughs> Maybe a little bit. <laughs> there could be some left. It's all in the cookie jar, but that's okay. Sure. Well, we're ready to go. Kids, uh, you know, they wear their costumes to school tomorrow. Yep. They do Jasper's a... wearing his costume to school tomorrow. It's going to be fun. Good, good. At, at my kid's school, they do a Halloween parade. So the whole school parades around the block. Wow. <laughs> Actually outside the school in their Halloween costumes and everyone gets a kick out of it and some people go and watch and stuff like that. So that'll be do fun. You, then they do come you have home. to sign a consent form for that? Um, Because they're we, taking the kids off of school property. You know, I'm not sure. If we did, I didn't personally have to sign it, but I'm sure some one of the responsible adults in this household did if it was a thing. Right. Okay. But it sounds like fun. They enjoy it. And then they come home and they do the trick-or-treating and load up on candy, and I end up eating half of it. Good yeah, for me. and you uh, you get to teach them about income tax. Income tax, or simply just I'll offer to buy it off them. They don't need that much candy, so I'll, you know, give them money per pound or something like that. Nice. My my old boss used to do that with her son. He'd make out like uh, $75 to $100 per Halloween for with her buying all the candy. So uh, good luck. That's not bad. That's pretty good. It's an expensive kid. way to get candy. Just go and... Spend 10 bucks and get 100 chocolate bars. <laughs> you could do that too. Anyways, I uh, hope everyone has a great Halloween out there if that's your thing. And, uh, you know, be careful on the roads tomorrow night. There's going to be a lot of kids walking around doing trick-or-treating. So please, please drive safely. Watch out for the munchkins walking around. Uh, all right. We are here to talk about the most recent episode of The Walking Dead. Well, it's season nine, episode four. And... It was called The Obliged. Because this is our first title read of the new season, I want you to give it big beans, okay? Yeah? Yeah? One, two, three. The Obliged. Lovely stuff. Season 9, Episode 4. The Obligid. The Obligid. The Obli 
Jed. Oh, never mind. Thank you to Dansky in Sweden, Ian and Isa in Countesthorpe, UK, John and John in New York. I think he's in New York anyways. He didn't sign it, but I went back to one of his older emails and I think he's in New York. So nice. Uh, season nine, episode four, The Obliged. I prefer Obliged now. <laughs> the Obliged, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I do think that is, it sounds pretty good to me. Cool. All right, let's begin our recap, Jason. We start this episode, the cold open on this one is all about Michonne. And it's kind of a Michonne montage, really. Of a Michonne-tage. Uh, a Michonne-tage. I like it. Nice. She, she's doing stuff. She's cooking with Judith. She's working on the crops. She's in the infirmary helping people. She's working on her charter, all the things she does. And also, she's going on secret nighttime walker killing sprees. She's Batman. She is. She fights crime at night and helps society during the day. Yeah. She's a, yeah, she's basically a rich person during the day and uh, a crime-fighting vigilante at night. Pretty much. Only substitute uh, uh, crime with zombies and rich person with end of the world, no money anyway, and you're good to go. <laughs> Look at that. She's the Batman of the apocalypse. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, now, she seems to have trouble sleeping unless she goes out and slaughters some zombies at night. That's... To me, kind of that's what it looked like they were trying to tell us um, in those scenes. She has to get up, go kill some zombies. Then she can sleep and do the rest of her regular duties during the day. So it really didn't take us very long to find out what the deal was with that blood that was on her arm that she wiped away last episode. Zombie gore. Zombie gore. And she guess I guess she doesn't want Rick to know she's doing this. Or for some reason, she's keeping it a secret from him because he's sound asleep and she goes out on a killing spree. Yeah, I like to call it in Slaughtermia, like insomnia, but with slaughter kind of thrown in there. Boy, you are all about the puns so far today. Is that a pun? Is that what that's called? I think that's a pun. Is that referred to as a pun? Yeah. Okay, think, well, cool. I think Good so. Good for me. So, so Good a... for you for telling me what I'm doing. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, now... While she is out there one night, she comes across a zombie that is hung with a noose from a tree. So I wasn't sure exactly what was up with this. Does this mean that they're hanging other people? Or or why was that zombie up there and how did it get up there? I thought that that was a calling card because they knew Michonne was out there. And they kind of, uh, that's a, I hadn't considered that they hung that uh, person before they were dead. Which is weird, but I hadn't considered that. So you're saying somebody hung the zombie, though, but who? Well, I don't know. Well, we also have, later on, we have this huge magic hole in the ground that we don't have an explanation for either. Uh, so there's a you know person or persons unknown doing weird shit out in the world. Yeah, yeah and you know, I thought that about the hole, which we'll talk about when we get there, but... Um, but but and I didn't have an explanation for the hole either. But the zombie hanging here, I really don't have an explanation for. But it didn't really occur to me that it was somebody else doing it, or it was a warning sign or anything. I just thought for some reason they had a zombie hanging from a tree. Maybe I don't know. Maybe as a deterrent or something. But it doesn't really seem to make any sense to me. Like a scarecrow, like yeah, they were doing previously, but this time in a middle of. Nowhere for no reason. Well, that's why I can't figure it out. I'm not sure what the deal is with that zombie. And I started thinking, are they hanging other people and we don't know about it? That doesn't seem like something they would do. You know, if hanging that person is like that zombie's like way up in that tree. 
very high like, too. It's, it's yeah. not even like there's no way that this person could have committed suicide unless they climbed up the tree all the way up to the branch, tied everything. Actually, that's a pretty good way to do it because we talked about this before. Uh, when Gregory was was hanged, uh, he didn't fall right, so his neck didn't break, so he just right. kind of strangled to death. But if you want to, you know, truly kill yourself with a noose, the best way to do it is go really, 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 really high, tie everything off, and then jump, right, and fall like. 15, 20 feet. Yeah, so maybe it was a suicide then. Uh, I mean, that's that's, been. A, that's a good point. That's My first thought was that somebody hanged that person as a warning to Michonne. I don't know, but I don't, I don't think that was there. Like, she's keeping it a secret what she's doing, and I guess that doesn't mean somebody doesn't know, but there was nothing else in the episode that indicated to me that someone was warning her or trying to send her a message. So I think maybe suicide is right. Maybe someone killed themselves and she went out there and found him, you know, unexpectedly. Well, a look, so, okay. So when I first saw it, my first thought was, you know, a warning to Michonne. Right. And then later on, we see the magic hole in the ground. Uh, and I'm thinking somebody's doing something because that's not Daryl's hole in the ground. Uh, so somebody's, it might be Daryl's hole in the ground, but if it's not Daryl's hole in the ground, it's awfully convenient. But we'll get there. We'll get there. Mm-hmm. We'll stop talking about it. So those two <laughs> things together make me think that there's uh, there's somebody out there doing something. Okay. Well, that could be it. I didn't, I didn't really connect the two in any way. So I don't know. We'll have to wait and find out. But while she's standing there looking at the zombie hanging from the tree, she's sort of mesmerized by it a little bit, maybe standing there trying to figure out what the hell's going on. Uh, She gets ambushed by a stealth zombie that sneaks up beside her and forces her to drop her katana, which means she has to fight it off. And she does so by grabbing a baseball bat that's on the ground nearby and smashing it, smashing it to smashing the zombie in the head with the bat. Right. Um, And then once the zombie's dead, she drops the bat and walks away. But I really liked how the guts on the end of this baseball bat looked suspiciously like you know, bloody barbed wire wrapped around the end of it, but it was not. It did. It took me a while, like, that whole, through the whole scene, I'm like, is that Lucille? Is that, that can't be Lucille. Why would she have Lucille? But then I think maybe the thought that, hey, that might be Lucille, added to the somebody's fucking with, with her shit, mm. right? They got a hold of Lucille, they put the bat there, they put this guy here, they set this whole thing up, and then it turned out to not be Lucille, but it was too late, my brain had already assumed what was going on. Uh, so it, it took me a while to figure out that it wasn't Lucille until that last shot that it was like, okay, there's absolutely no barbed wire on there. Right. But Michonne looked kind of horrified at having to use that bat. She did for sure. And Anna from Wales wrote in, holy crap, is that Lucille? Okay. No, just a baseball bat. Good. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And that's kind of how I felt, to be honest with you. I, I thought it would be strange that it was Lucille one, because it seemed to be just lying around out there. And I don't think they would leave that bat just lying around. And also, you don't want to see Michonne use the weapon that Negan used to kill Glenn and Abraham and other people. So I guess in a pinch, it saved, it would have saved her life, but I still don't think it would have been very satisfying to see her use it. What it did do, though, is just kind of remind us that Negan's around, Lucille might be around, and he had a pretty effed up relationship with that bat. Yes. 
right? And we so, get reminded of that again. We we do for sure. But I, I liked, you know, first first watch of this, you don't really know what's coming, and there is a bat that's reminiscent of Lucille, just just to get your mind going and thinking about it a little bit. So great yeah. job on the cold open overall, other than the sort of confusing zombie hanging from the tree. Right. So after our opening title credits, we're at the hilltop. Maggie's out on her balcony cuddling Herschel. Uh, somebody comes to take the baby from her, and Maggie looks out over her yard, her kingdom, I want to call it, except that's confusing because there's somewhere else actually called the kingdom. Her domain. Her domain. There you go. She looks over her domain. She goes down, and she starts packing a crowbar in her bag, but Jesus shows up, and the first thing he says is they have another letter from Georgie, but Maggie doesn't want to read it right now. She says, just put it inside in my drawer with the other ones. Yeah. So she's kind of ignoring, well, at least in this moment, she's ignoring the the advice or information coming from Georgie, which we sort of knew because, I don't know, she she was reading, she was rereading an old one in a past episode, but didn't really right. seem like she was taking it all that seriously. I figured it was an invoice of some kind. <laughs> and you just want to ignore those. It's a bill. So fuck it. Throw with the other bills. I'll, you know, I'll, I do bills on Tuesday. Right. And it's Thursday right now. So I got four <laughs> or five days before I have to do that again. So fuck it. Just we'll, leave it with the others. <laughs> we'll get to it on bill yeah. day. Right. Yeah. After yeah. next pay payday. <laughs> That's right. Um, well, she doesn't want to read it. And she says that she's leaving to go make things right. And of course, Jesus figures out that she's going to Alexandria to kill Negan. So. He concedes through conversation with her that Rick was wrong to let Negan live, but he says only because he didn't consult with anybody else about making that decision. And he's concerned that Maggie is making a similar decision and just going to ride off and do this on her own, which she does. She leaves with Diane on horseback. So uh, we also get confirmation that she, you know, decided to hang Gregory without consulting anybody. She just decided that this was the right thing to do. Yeah, well, I think uh, we sort of knew that anyways, but I guess we this... did. But we got it's nice to have Jesus tell you things, right? Oh, it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, sorry, who does she leave with? Diane. Diane. What? A, Diane was like a total bitch there for a second. She's like, Maggie, are you ready? She's like, I'm fucking talking to somebody here. Yeah, but Shove I, it. <laughs> I think it was a. I think it was a really well staged scene because Jesus says to her, you know, I'm concerned about if you're ready for this or if, you know, we as a society are ready for this. And then Diane says, are you ready? Maggie turns to her, then turns back to Jesus and says, yes, I am. Yeah. The writing was, was sublime. It was good. It was amazing. Yeah. Diane was being totally rude. Well, fair. When you're having a conversation with somebody and uh, you're ready to go, you know, give them a minute, mm -hmm. you know, give them a couple minutes to finish their conversation. If they continue having their conversation like 45 minutes later and they've sat down for a cup of tea, you know, you, you say something, but she's just, you know, it's also, it's not like <laughs> you're on a clock here. No, right? I, I guess I not. mean, sure. The sun is setting eventually, but, uh, you know, she, you can give her a couple of minutes to talk to somebody in, uh, to have a conversation. Like just how rude. <laughs> I suppose. I don't know. Maybe Diane is just anxious to, maybe the horses need to get going or something like that. You know, they're raring to go. I hear horses yeah, do the that. The horses have more patience than Diane. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but I, I think it was a pretty well executed scene no matter what. And uh, they ride off together out through the gate. Cool. Uh, we go to the bridge camp. Rick is there, of course. He's looking at the water that's rushing under the bridge now. So they didn't get the bridge finished completely. And 
the uh, the water is is going full speed. Eugene comes, gives him an update um, on a few different things. He says that he's not convinced the bridge will hold and they can't continue working on it now because the water is too high and rough. He says that two nearby herds are showing no signs of merging. And these are another two names for herds. We get Tybalt and Cordelia. I recognize Tybalt. Have we heard from that one? Shakespeare. No, just from Shakespeare. Oh, yeah. I know that's a Shakespeare character. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. So that makes more sense as uh, as this conversation proceeds, how uh, he found it, what is it, from the good book? Yeah. From the, <laughs> the book of Shakespeare plays. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's what he re- was referring to when he references the good book or the great the great book. I forget it. I forget what how he described it exactly, but I did think it was funny that he basically says, we needed a never-ending supply of character names, so we went with Shakespeare plays. You see, okay, and that makes sense. You know, we've all had uh, hard drive naming uh, conventions. Uh, <laughs> you know, I've personally have used Muppets. Mm-hmm. I've used, uh, my favorite was uh, the reboot of Battlestar Galactica. I used call signs. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, Husker and uh, Adama uh, for Adama, and uh, you know, there's hot dog, hot soup. There's so many good names. Sure, I use Walking Dead characters to name my hard drives. Well, there you go. <laughs> so, if you got to name herds, pick a naming convention. Shakespeare characters is a little obtuse, but uh, you know, I personally would go with Simpsons. Yeah, fair enough. In this, in this case, it just shows your level of sophistication, it really does. Yeah. It, it really does. Uh, my computer. I, I prefer my level of sophistication rather than Shakespeare characters. Yeah, me too. My computer is currently connected to Carl and Rick, two external drives I have. <laughs> uh, oh, my current convention, I don't have individually named drives, but my computers are uh, uh, Flick, uh, Ralphie, and Bumpuses from uh, A Christmas Story. There you go. See? Bumpuses, that pack of, pack of dogs. Bumpuses! Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the that's the computer I have where all the movies are because mm-hmm. it's just a big pack of movies, so I call it Bumpuses. Very good. Well, Eugene also says that it's good news that the the herds aren't merging because there's no way to s- satisfactorily merge Tybalt and Cordelia into a single name. Right. <laughs> Which well, I think that's is funny. This is not foreshadowing at all, right? Uh, no. Like when you heard this, did you think, oh, good thing that they're running parallel and they show no signs of merging, so that'll never come up again? No, that that's not going to happen. They're definitely not going to merge. Yeah. Um, he also, at the end of the conversation, apologizes to Rick for not being smarter and not being able to do more, which I think was interesting because he seems like he's been doing an awful lot. He, it, I feel like Eugene is the one really running the day-to-day, sort of behind the scenes of, of all this stuff. So... Um, but, you know, he feels a little ad- inadequate and wanted to apologize for that. But Rick says it's no big deal. Yep. Karina in Melbourne, Australia writes, holy crap, even Rick doesn't know what Eugene is waffling on about sometimes. <laughs> true. <laughs> it, it is true. And I don't want to belabor this too much, but I think they have gone a little too far again with the Eugenisms. I find it difficult to follow what the hell he's talking about unless I turn on the subtitles and read along with what he's saying. Well, he kind of mumbles as well, so I can see that. But I don't think it's a mumbling problem. I think I just can't process his speech pattern fast enough to keep up with it and parse out what he's saying in my brain, unless I'm reading it, because, I don't know, it, I can see the words in front of me, so I don't have to think about it as much or something. But it, Are you more of a, a visual person than an audio person? Well, like do you, do you, like if you need to consume information yeah. and you really need to retain retain it, 
you read, right? I guess so. Most people do that, don't they? Well, I don't know. Some some people are. Uh, I took a test once where you were to, to determine whether or not you're more audio or more visual in your learning, mm-hmm. and I happen to be right smack dab in the middle. You're perfect. I'm not perfect. I'm just. <laughs> I can't choose a side. Oh yeah. Okay. Right? You're I'm a right on the fence. Yeah. I'm like, no, I'm not good at the reading, and I'm not good at listening. Uh, I'm bad at both. Really, is mm-hmm. what that boils down to. Or you're fifty percent good at both. That's right. Yeah, so, right. you know, uh, what, what is the phrase? Uh, something, something, master of none. Uh, Jack of all trades, master of none. That's it. Right. Yeah. I, I, okay. I, I don't know for sure if I'm more of a visual or a, a written learner or whatever you want to say, but um, I find it difficult to follow along Eugene if I'm just sitting there listening to him. I have to read his dialogue for to be able to pro, like to convert it into normal English in my brain is what I yeah. have to do. I don't seem to have a problem with that. Okay. Like I, 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 well, then again, the first watching of The Walking Dead, I tend to just watch it. And the second watching, uh, I'll turn on the subtitles. Uh, right. My, I do the same thing. I watch it without and then with, and then sometimes partially a third time with them on as well. So, uh, anyways, Rick goes to see Carol, who is in a tent in the camp. And she tells him she's leaving to take her people back to the kingdom. So because the saviors have walked off, she's not in charge of them anymore. But she does say that she sent Alden to head off the saviors and try to lead them back. Um, But she says they don't want them. Like they don't want to be sort of like saviors or they don't want to be with Rick anymore, but they also don't want Negan anymore. And they have to figure things out on their own. And they're just going to have to let them do that. Rick can't force them to sort of go one way or the other. And they're basically a bunch of baby ducks, right? You have a bunch of baby ducks. You want them to be safe. They're, you know, they're cuddly. They're, uh, they, you know, they're fuzzy and stuff. And, uh, but eventually they're going to have to get old enough and head off without their mama and figure things out by themselves. Exactly. And then they'll come down on one side or the other, hopefully, and hopefully everyone can get along. Yeah, and not get shot by shotguns. Not get shot, exactly. Uh, Carol does say to Rick that she really wanted things to work, and Rick says he knows. And uh, I think it was a pretty nice little moment between the two of them, and I honestly wouldn't be surprised, Jason, if that's the last scene between Rick and Carol. Well, you're making me nervous. It felt a little final to me, to be honest with you. You could almost see the tears in their eyes, I thought, watching this. We're just going to move on. Okay, we're going to move on. Okay. Uh, uh, I also, well, before we move on, I want to stop and talk about something else. Okay. <laughs> I just want to, I want to comment on the state of the quality of this camp. This cat camp is immaculate and amazing. Okay. Uh, the, uh, it looks like a little, a little ramshackle, but everything seems to be organized. The tents have, uh, like wooden bases, uh, underneath them. There's like a fresh hewn, uh, fresh sawed boards from trees mm-hmm. that are used for steps. Like, yeah. I don't know how they saw those, sawed those, uh, those boards. Like it was like a, uh, a live edge. Uh, on two sides, middle of a tree from one end to the other. It was like 30, 40 feet long. And uh, I don't know how they got that because you need some serious equipment to do that, but they probably have that. Like they, And you can do that in the field, but I don't know if they have the uh, the gas-powered uh, 
board cutter that well, they would need to do that. We know how good Daryl is with a saw, so maybe he can just take care of it. <laughs> yeah, he just saws one end and the whole thing just turns into a plank. Right? That's right. Exactly. <laughs> he just comes up and touches it with a saw and it magically turns into whatever he needs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's amazing. Uh, um, yeah. So I just wanted to st- say that this camp is, uh, is amazing. Yeah. Like the, it's just, it's organized. It's, uh, it's clean. It's, uh, it's nowhere near the state of any camp I've ever been to in my life. Well, like when I say camp, I mean actual camp, Northern Ontario camp. Right, right. right. be a house, but actual, you know, camp with tents going, uh, camping with Boy Scouts or family or whatever. By the end of whatever weekend you're there, uh, the place is a disaster area, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And then you clean it up. There's clothes everywhere. There's pieces of tent here and there. Uh, it's, it's just a, it's. It's a, it turns out uh, much like where uh, Anne lives in the junkyard. That's basically what it looks. The camp looks like at any camp that I've ever gone to. Just mounds of rubbish. You're a you're a massive uh, causer of mess. Uh, but yeah. uh, but I think it's because uh, Eugene is running it right. He's keeping the sh- well oiled ship. He's he's keeping shit in order. Yeah, this is a nice place. I I would love to live in this camp. This is a nice camp. Seems very nice. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we we can move on. Continue. All right. Uh, so Jerry shows up on horseback and he's there to let Rick know that Maggie is going to Alexandria. So Rick gets freaked out. He tries to relay a message to Alexandria through one of the relays and the message is don't let Maggie in. Basically I'm coming back. Um, and the relay person decides not to send that message because, uh, that's part of the plan. So Rick doesn't know that at the time, but Daryl steps up, asks what's going on, and then offers to give Rick a ride on his motorcycle to Alexandria because they'll get there faster. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Sounds like he's being nice of him. Very, very helpful. We cut over to Michonne back at Alexandria. She's sitting with Judith and working. And then new character Nora comes to the gate with an update on a couple of things. Nora says that they've lost one quarter of their tomato crops to the crows, so they're going to have to do something about that. But more importantly, she tells Michonne that Negan has stopped eating. So he's not eating, and if they want to keep him alive, he's going to have to eat something. We go back to Daryl and Rick. They're on his motorcycle. They're riding along, and Daryl misses a turn that, you know, Rick realizes very quickly that they're not going back to Alexandria. So they pull over. They argue about what's going on. They very quickly get into a fist fight, end up falling down, rolling down a hill, and into some kind of giant hole. Giant magic hole. Uh, Yeah, magic hole. Um, So what do you think? What do you think this hole is doing there? (laughs) I really can't tell you because the reason I think it's a magic hole is that it's got a perfectly flat bottom. It's got perfectly straight sides, except for what looks like a slope uh, for sliding down. Mm-hmm. Like there's a big edge for slip, sliding down. Uh, it's three stories deep, uh, which is, and there's no dirt outside of this hole. There are a lot of questions about the hole. So, is it a sinkhole? If it's a sinkhole, why does it have a flat bottom? If it was man-made, how the fuck did they get the dirt out of there? Yeah, right. Yeah. Like seriously. The manpower it would take to to get all that dirt out of there and then move it to wherever it is, because there's a lot of dirt, three-story deep hole with perfectly straight sides that didn't collapse in on itself in the last two weeks from rainfall or what have you. 
like why this hole wouldn't fill itself in after. So as far as I'm concerned, this has to be a magic hole. Well, Paul in Southampton, UK writes, holy crap, did you see that? A literal plot hole. Bravo, Walking Dead. <laughs> Bravo. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it is a plot hole. It is a it is. hole that supports a specific need in the plot. Yeah, that's why the hole exists, because we need uh, Daryl and Rick to be in a confined situation that uh, has a threat mm-hmm. so that they're back on the same team again. Exactly. Now, along those lines, Jason, do you remember last season when Rick and Daryl got into a fist fight because Daryl was doing his own thing and Rick didn't like it? Yep. This is... Uh, another occasion where they have a fist fight, they come to blows, and I don't know if you've thought about this at all, but if you recall, last season, I think both of us really disliked that fight. It didn't seem to make sense. I, I know I did for sure. I thought yeah, it was absolutely. a really terrible scene. Um, so I am pretty sure that people are going to want to know if we feel the same way about this fist fight between these two characters. So have you thought about it at all? Do you have any opinion on that? I have not thought about it at all, and I do have an opinion. Well, let's hear it. This seemed a little more um, plausible, because mm-hmm. Daryl, uh, he knew what he was doing when he said, get on my bike. When he said, get on my bike, he was planning to stop Rick mm-hmm. from going to Alexandria, so he was expecting to pick a fight. So that all made sense. He set up the relay block. So that uh, you know, Alexandria wouldn't get the message from uh, from Rick. So this was all contrived by Daryl. I don't think the whole was contrived by Daryl, but it's obviously obviously or uh, uh, it's very convenient mm-hmm. for uh, where they stopped to have their slap fight. Uh, it it was, it's a little weird. It's a little on the nose plot hole. That's one thing, but uh-huh. it's like. They lay the bike down, they get into a uh, a bit of a slap fight, and then they start wrestling, and they are less than 10 feet away from this big fucking hole yep. that they can't get out of unless they work together as a team. And even then, it doesn't necessarily work. You have to have uh, an imminent zombie threat, which I don't even think, if they were working together, they could have, you know, killed a bunch of zombies and then piled them up like cordwood and just walked out. Well, that's sort of what sort of what happened. I mean, it, it gave Daryl yeah. a boost, but that's the first thing I thought of was like, Oh, they're dropping down things that are going to help me get out of here. Sure. They might as well be throwing down a ladder, <laughs> throw down a zombie ladder. Why not? <laughs> well, I am in totally in agreement with you here that this fight at first, I didn't like it. I'll be honest. My first thought was, Oh, they're going to have these two characters fight again. And so I was a little disappointed in that, but the way the episode resolved itself and the fact that it went somewhere and um you know everything you've mentioned about these characters beginning stuck there having to work together and stuff like that and just the way it all came together in one way kind of made me forget about the fact that i didn't love the fight but also just made it feel more appropriate and at the same time like you said daryl had just immediately before that done something to sort of counter Rick and, you know, he knew what he was doing. Um, so it, it didn't bother me as much. It did a little bit at first, but by the end of it, I was much more okay with the idea. Yeah. It didn't come out of nowhere and there was motivation involved. Right. It didn't have that the last time. 
No. Um, I mean, you could argue that we did because Daryl drove the dump truck into the side of the sanctuary, but it wasn't as cause and effect, you know, before. So um, this just, just worked better. So it's a little bit complicated, but for some reason it worked better. And then how it all resolved, it just made it feel like it was a little bit more realistic and appropriate. Yeah. So we go to a commercial break. And when we come back, we have Michonne. She brings food to Negan. He says that he's not on a hunger strike. He just doesn't feel like eating. Uh, She goes to leave, but he says he'll eat if she stays to talk with him. And uh, he also seems to indicate that he knows they're keeping him alive. And that's one of the things that kind of proves they're rebuilding society. Um, we, that's all we get of them for this, for this moment. We go back to Rick and Daryl in the hole. Dawn in Wisconsin writes, holy crap, that hole in the woods was dug by someone busy working on trapping the living and or the dead. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) So we don't know who dug it. Um, Rick accuses Daryl of setting this whole thing up, which he kind of did, except for the hole. Maybe the hole is just a lucky accident. Yeah. Setting the whole thing up. The whole thing. One of the walls in the hole has uh, what looks like obvious climbing holes. Like there's like divots in the wall that look like they would be the perfect size and spacing for climbing out. So maybe it's a, it's like a rock climbing hole. Instead of climbing up a rock wall, you dig a hole and climb out of it. It's an exercise hole. It's Somebody, a, you know, you know, is trying to, I think maybe it was Justin because uh, Justin, uh, we never really got to see, but that actor is pretty buff. Yeah. So uh, I'm pretty sure Justin had this as an exercise hole. There you go. An exercise hole. Yeah. Now the two guys are stuck in there. They get to talking, of course. Rick accuses Daryl of setting this up, as I said. They kind of recap the two sides of the argument that they're on here at first, which is okay. Um, Daryl says that Rick wouldn't even be alive if it wasn't for Glenn, stuff like that. And he understands why Maggie needs to see Negan dead. That's kind of Daryl's, you know, whole side of things. Um, And Mike in Vancouver, BC writes, holy crap, did you hear that? Daryl dropped an F-bomb at Rick while they were arguing in the hole. Well, it sounded like he did. Maybe I was hearing things. It was an intense confrontation at the moment. So we did sort of get, you know, the F-word here in this conversation. And as we know from last year, they're now allowed to do that once in a while on the show. Yeah, as long as they're in the (laughs) F-hole. That's right. (laughs) I guess so, yeah. If you're a violinist, you understand that joke. Yeah, yeah, there's F-holes on violins. Yeah, the F-holes. That's right. what they're called. I know, because they look like... All right, good, you got the jokes. Yeah. That's good, I'm proud of you. Thank you. Um, I thought I was being... Uh, obtuse, <sighs> again? Obtuse, yeah. <laughs> well, there's a word I'm looking for that I can't find. Well, I'll make one up later. Yeah, it's not F-hole. Uh, listen, um, so, the, the F-word was sort of obscured in the conversation. Not totally, though, and it was clear what he was getting at but i did notice in the subtitles they didn't print it oh which is what did they print uh you know punctuation i think oh yeah (laughs) question mark asterisk percent sign that kind of thing yeah that's the universal fuck uh Uh, yes text (laughs) exactly (laughs) so back to the conversation uh rick gets you know he he says he sort of understands Daryl's, but he says keeping Negan alive, alive is how they make sure things won't go back to the way they were. And um, Daryl seems to think that keeping him alive is just giving the saviors some hope, basically, that it that it will go back. 
Uh, Rick is more right than Daryl in this case. You like, think so? We have uh, popular religions and Star Wars to know this. Okay. Uh, for Star Wars, it was uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi saying, if you strike me down, I'll become more powerful than you could possibly imagine. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that's true, right? Uh, a dead person becomes a martyr, and Rick says that. Yep. And uh, and look at Jesus. Not the Jesus character, but the Jesus Jesus. Uh, you know, he, he became, he is the martyr, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. And he is the focus, focal point for uh, an entire religion. So, uh, you know, killing him, killing the Jesus is not a way of ending the religion. Like that was the idea was that, you know, if you kill the, the figurehead of this religion, it'll probably die out. Well, that's not the case. So Rick is absolutely right. If you keep Negan alive, he is not a martyr symbol. He's just uh, uh, their leader, old leader that's now stuck in a hole in the ground. Not this kind of hole, but a different kind of hole. Yeah. Uh, so Rick is absolutely right. But Daryl, on the other hand, is also absolutely right. That fucker should die. <laughs> yes, and he 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 gets why other people think that way too, right? Yeah, and and so does Rick. Like Rick understands it, but he thinks that that the, the martyr problem would be a bigger problem than than uh, you know the ha- keeping him alive. The revenge problem, right? Yeah, exactly. Right? You know, rev- you know, when you set out what is. Uh... I forget who said it, what the, I can attribute this quote for, but uh, it's probably from TV or movies. When you set out for revenge, first thing you should do is dig two graves. Of course, because you're both going down. Yeah. It's not <laughs> going to solve your problem. No. You know, no. revenge does not solve a problem. It makes you feel better a little bit at the time, but generally uh, the best revenge is good living. Good living. Right. That's good. I like that. Well, Daryl also reveals that Oceanside was the ones killing the saviors. So now Rick knows that as well. So everybody knows that. Why is that not a secret anymore? Uh, I thought this was a secret. How did it not get to be a secret? Well, I I mean, I, I don't think Rick knew yet. So he he didn't Nobody know. Nobody knew. It was well, a big mystery. Now it's not a mystery. No, no, no. I mean, it wasn't a mystery. Daryl and Maggie knew. And I guess they hadn't got, walked back and told everybody yet. But the saviors show up in like 10 minutes and they knew. Uh, yeah, because of Alden, which we'll get to. But Rick didn't know that at this point, right? He doesn't know that the saviors were being killed because of dissent within his group, which just makes the conflict worse, right? If they were being killed by some unknown party or they were just wandering off and dying, like that's different, right? But there was actual... Um, you know, actual murder happening amongst the group that's supposed to be living together that he's trying to keep together. So that's a big yeah. deal for Rick. It is, and I and I don't I don't blame Daryl and Maggie for have not not for having not said anything yet. I mean, they could have just not had time, but it's also the kind of thing you'd probably want to not tell Rick because it kind of undermines his entire plan, right? Yeah. So, but the fact is here, Daryl reveals to him that's what was going on. So Rick knows that now. And Rick actually kind of starts crying as he's talking. And he says, if Negan is killed, everybody, including Carl, died for nothing. Because it's going to screw up everything we're doing in their, in their name. Um, and Daryl responds that Rick is just chasing something that isn't meant to be. And he should let it go. Let it go. Um, and let him go, I think he says. And I think he means Carl, right? Let him go as in, you know, don't forget him, but 
we're not doing the right thing here. And if you're doing everything in his name, maybe you kind of have to just let him go and figure out what's right for the, you know, the current situation. Like that would be dumb. Like trying to tell somebody that they're dead son, they should just let go. I think that's what Daryl is saying. Unless I misunderstood. I I thought he meant maybe he meant Negan. Let him go. Like, don't hang on to him anymore. Let's just murder him and let his, the fact that he's alive go. Uh, it could be, it could be. I read it a different way though, that I think Daryl is saying that he needs to, you know, not forget Carl, but stop doing everything in his name and, and do what's best for the people that are still alive. Right. And I think Rick starts to realize that in this moment, his decisions over the years have actually hurt other people and gotten them killed. Not, he hasn't always done what's right for everybody. You know what I mean? No, he's. You know, he said, we don't kill the living, and then 10 seconds later, he shoots somebody in the face. <laughs> well, yes, that's a very obvious decision that didn't help that person that he shot, but... Yeah. Um, anyways, I'm I'm not sure. I, I think you probably can read that conversation in uh, in a couple of different ways there, but... Or maybe both. Both interpretations are totally valid, you know? Yeah. Let those writers go. Yeah. You know what they're doing. They sure so do. Saying one thing and meaning two. See? That's, that's, that's some skillful writing work there. Yeah. It's also lying without actually lying. Well, that's fine. Cause you know, a good liar will tell, I'm a good liar. I only lie for good now. I don't lie for evil. I know. But I I've know. always been a good liar. And the secret is to tell enough of the truth to imply the lie. Ooh. That's very. Without actually going beyond the actual truth. Sure. So you're not actually lying. You're just implying it. Very good. I'll keep that's that right. in mind. Yeah. I can, I'll give you more lessons as time goes on. Oh, thanks. How to, how to properly get away with lying. Wonderful. Uh, we go to a commercial break, and when we come back, we are back with Michonne. She's talking to Negan. There's a lot of long conversations in this episode, and recapping those I find difficult, uh, even the last one between Rick and Daryl, because you don't want to just sit here and go, Rick said this, and then Daryl said that, and then Rick said this, and Daryl said that, because that's stupid. <laughs> well, it is, because it makes for shitty podcasting, and uh, you could just watch the show. And maybe a lot of people that are listening to this podcast probably watch the show. You probably I know did. I did. Yeah, exactly. They probably did. So I, I'm sorry if if sort of I, I go on too long about actually what the conversations were about, but it's kind of what I do. I can't help it. You know, it's, it That's is what fun. it is. I find it entertaining and fascinating. Fantastic. Personally. Well, we're back with Michonne talking to Negan. Of course, she's down there outside his cell. She talks about how they're restarting society and Negan is rotting in there. He brings up his wife and talks about wishing he'd had a son like Carl or a kid like Carl. Why is she doing this? This baffles me. I've said time and time again that Rick should not have a conversation with Negan. It's not going to end well, and he's not going to get what he wants. Michelle is in the, Michelle Michonne is in the same boat. Don't talk to him. First of all, he's going to actively manipulate you. Whether you like it or not, that's mm -hmm. what he does. And second of all, by obliging him to talk, uh, you're giving him exactly what he wants uh, in the ability to manipulate the situation to at least, you know, throw it, throw out barbs. And at the at the very least, you're giving him uh, conversation, which is what he needs in order to not be in absolute hell. Absolute hell for Negan is nobody talking to him, mm -hmm. nobody having a conversation with him. Or nobody if listening, she, yeah. Nobody listening. If she wants to torture him, 
all she has to do is leave. And right. he will be in absolute hell the entire time she's not there. Well, I have two comments to, about that. One is the only line in the episode that I don't really think worked very well is the moment when Michonne says straight out to him, you're desperately trying to connect with me. Yeah. And I think that was a little too on the nose. I mean, we did not need her to say that. I think it was obvious what was going on there. But the other thing is... If Negan is refusing to eat because no one's there chatting with him, that's a problem. If he refuses to eat, he dies, and they're trying to keep him alive for all the reasons we've already talked about. So what do you do? Do you... That's it entirely feeds into his manipulation. He knows that. So do you he, think... He knows it's what, why he's making this deal. I'll eat this sandwich if you talk to me. He knows that him not eating is the and wanting to keep him alive is the only card he has to play, and he's playing it. Absolutely. So what do you do as Michonne then? Do you let him starve to death and deal with the consequences of a dead Negan? Or do you oblige him and eat, I mean, and talk to him for a while to keep him alive? You tie him down and you force feed him. Well, I don't know. I don't, I think, sure, this is the apocalypse, but I don't think force feeding is, uh, you know, allowed generally. Well, it's not, it, it is under certain circumstances. I've had to force feed my cat. Uh, yeah, cats and animals are different than human beings. It's that was not absolutely, it was heart wrenching to have to do that to that poor animal. She's still, she's upstairs. She's a good cat. Uh, but that, the fact that she would not eat and cats will starve themselves to death. It only takes like 72 hours of them not eating and their liver starts to fail. So you have to feed them if, and they won't eat like a dog will eventually eat, but a cat won't. So we had to force feed the cat, which is horrible. It was horrible. Sure, absolutely. I don't want to go too far off topic, but isn't a cat that's not eating a sign that it's old and it's sort of ready for its time? Well, this was years ago. Okay. Yes, that absolutely is. But uh, she was, uh, there was something wrong. Like she wasn't getting proper, uh, she wasn't eating, she wasn't drinking, she was dehydrated. She was, uh, we had to, this is the same thing. Remember I, I talked a couple of weeks ago about, weeks ago about putting water underneath uh, her skin like having to uh -huh. do a saline solution underneath her skin and she would have this camel back yeah, yeah. Uh, thing. Uh, so we did that. And during that same process, we had to force feed her. Okay. We don't know what happened, whether she ate the Christmas tree, it was a fake tree that year and uh, something happened. But uh, the doctor said, you know, we'll get, th we'll tr try this for a little while and uh, see if we can kickstart her metabolism again. And we did, and mm -hmm. it, it worked. Oh, good. And she's been, you know, this was, this was before I got married, so this is 10 years ago now. Oh, a long time. All right, cat yeah, was still so she's young. still kicking around. But you can absolutely force feed a person. Okay, well... Right? It's not, you know, it's akin to torture, but you can do it. That's what I'm and saying. If, if somebody doesn't eat, like hunger strikes, you can, you, can, you can deal with that by tying them down, you know, blending up some, you know, a sandwich, right. put it in a blender, make yourself a nice sandwich shake, uh -huh. and then uh, stick a tube down his throat and... Force them to eat it. Okay, but as you said, it's akin to torture, and I don't know if they're ready to go to the torture, you know, department yet. So if you're not ready to go there, I'm not sure what you do. You either let them starve, which is also akin to torture in a way, but at least he's making that decision and you aren't, or you indulge him for a while and you talk to him for a bit. I said, yeah. And, and, yeah. and, and that's what Michonne decides to do here. So uh, in that case, you put somebody in here that 
he can't manipulate like Michonne. He can manipulate because she has power in the organ in the uh, in the community, right? So you you know put somebody in here like uh, Enid, you know have Enid have a conversation with him. She might not know anything. She well she probably does, but uh, you know it can easily just be an inane conversation that doesn't have any meaning. So you put somebody in that situation and don't talk about anything real. Yeah. Like if I was going to, you know, I'll have a conversation with you, but we're going to talk about old television shows. I know. That's it. I'm not going to talk about what's going on outside. I'm not going to talk about anything that's going on with me or anybody I know. We're going to talk about old movies and television shows and that's it. I don't know if that's going to work. I think somebody like Enid or somebody who doesn't know the situation is more easily manipulated than someone like Michonne, who has okay. who has a, a strong um, understanding of the situation in their mind and can recognize the fact they're being manipulated. You know, Enid may not, and maybe Enid's not the best example, but someone who's not quite as invested in the in the sort of leadership role of this new society is going to be more easily manipulated. And who knows what they're going to do? Maybe Negan oh, can talk man. them into letting him out. This is exactly why we didn't, why we shouldn't have killed Gregory. You stick Gregory in the cell right next to him and have those two guys talk to each other forever. <laughs> it's torture for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. If you put Gregory in another cell, it's not like either of them can you know, be manipulated so much that they're going to let each other out of their cells. Right. But yeah. you're right. That's torture for everybody. <laughs> yeah. You just give them, you put them in adjacent cells and, uh, let them talk. You want to have a conversation? Talk to that guy. It's like, well, I don't like that guy. Well, nobody does, but too bad. It's all you got. Yeah. Now, now see, now or, you're thinking. Or, you know, uh, even Michonne or Rick, if they want to talk to Negan in order to him, to, him to eat by, Talking about inane topics and limiting the conversation to those topics serves two purposes. One is that if he does continue to have those conversations, they don't mean anything and he's not going to be able to manipulate you or at least get information on how he could better his situation or even escape. Uh, The second thing is if he refuses to do that, then you know that his goal is to manipulate. Right. You know that he wants to have conversation about what's going on in the outside world. He's trying to get information. So then you know that that's the case and you can deal with that. But this kind of thing, uh, you just, no matter how good you are, Negan is really probably better at manipulating you through conversation yeah. than you are. You're probably right. Um, one more thought I had before we move on, because we've talked about this a long time, but what if you send two people down at a time? I mean, maybe not Rick and Michonne because they're two rather important people, but you send two down at a time and therefore you have, you have backup. If, you know, manipulate, uh, Negan can't manipulate both of you, you wouldn't think, or if, or if you at least have two people there to, to analyze the situation and get out of it if you need to. So yeah, I think there are things you could probably do. And you could also, uh, do things like eat that whole sandwich before I have this conversation, not I'll have a conversation if you eat that sandwich laughter. Yeah. Right. Because then it's it's allowing him to manipulate. If he eats the sandwich before you can, and he starts to manipulate you and you recognize you're like, oh, you know, have a nice day. We'll see you tomorrow with another sandwich. I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, let's get back to it here. So Negan starts talking about um, their children. They talk about Carl. He realizes that Michonne must have had a child before and she reveals to him that she had Andre 
And then Negan starts to talk about his wife again and says that she was weak when she died, but she did not make him weak. And that a small part of him was relieved when she died. And at the end, uh, at the end of it, he says Michonne must have been grateful a little bit when Andre died because he would have made her weak too. So this, of course, pisses her off greatly. She smashes the food that she brought and storms out of there. But what did this remind you of a little bit, Jason? What did it remind me of? Yeah, this conversation about weakness. Well, yeah. So the first thing I thought was uh, the dirty lady from Fear the Walking Dead. Martha. Martha. Uh, right. Superman's mom and Batman's mom. Yes. Very, very dirty. Right. Exactly. It reminded <laughs> uh, me of that, too. Yeah. It's not nice to think about your mom dirty, but that's okay. Uh, yes, it absolutely reminded me of that. So that's okay, right? Uh-huh. Like, we can have that that conversation here and it's interesting because it's like, you know, if you watch that show, you're like, oh, well, everybody else is talking about weakness now too. Mm -hmm. uh, Must be the fad of the week. I guess so. Yeah. It's the first thing that popped into my mind. It just seemed very similar, right? It's like surround yourself with people uh, that are strong. Otherwise they will make you weak. So. Right. uh, And having, um, you know, emotional bonds with somebody makes you weak because, uh, and you know, we see that kind of same theme with uh, Anne a little later, mm-hmm. right? So it's 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 very much the uh, the theme of this uh, of this episode. One of them, anyways. Yeah. Before we move on, Adam in Texas wrote, "Holy crap! Negan gets haircuts. He has this thick, full beard and a short head of hair. How the hell do the logistics of that work out?" <laughs> uh, stick your head through the bars. Because and... I wouldn't put my hand in a in cell with him, and I don't think I'd let him out of the cell. No, I don't think so either. I'm not going to give him any scissors. Nope. But somehow it looks like they're cutting his hair. Although he was in shadow so much, such dark shadows this entire episode and really so far this season that it's hard to get a good clear picture of what he actually looks like now, in my opinion. I can't see him very well. Well, maybe he's spending his time uh, while he's alone using dirt and saliva to slick his hair back. Yeah. He's yeah. got enough time to deal with that, right? So you just keep licking your palm and putting it back. And if it doesn't stay back, you use a little bit of dirt and you lick that and you put it back. And, you know, <laughs> maybe he's got everything slicked back so hard that uh, it looks like he has short hair. It just looks short. Sure. Maybe. We'll have to, some, one of these days we're going to get him shot in properly, a properly lit situation and we'll see what he actually looks like. Yeah. He's in every second episode, every episode so far, yeah? Uh, no, I don't think he was in... Well, he's been missing from at least one of the uh, four. Are you sure? Well, I don't know anyway, for sure. Anyways, he seems to be a lot more uh, a lot more in this season than I thought he was going to be. Well, I'm not surprised that he's there uh, because, like I said last season, they're not going to have an actor of the caliber of Jeffrey Dean Morgan stuck in a cell and not use him for anything, right? So, I'm not surprised we've had these these conversations with him. And I'll be honest with you. I've been fairly happy with how they've done it so far. I was worried that we'd get too much Negan in the cell or he'd get out of there too quickly. And so far that hasn't really happened and it ha- I haven't been annoyed by with the amount of Negan we've had. So this episode had the most of him by far. Um, yeah. And the first time he was really prominently in an episode was, what was it, the second one where the whole thing was the bridge rebuilding and the episode was kind of bookended by Rick's conversation with Negan. I thought that was a really clever way of including him in an important way, but not being annoying about it. So 
No, it's it's been well done. I just I'm surprised. I thought he would be in the season less. Right. Or or okay. maybe less to start. So maybe they uh they shot everything all at once, right? For the whole season. So they got him in a they got him in a room. Mm-hmm. They uh they cut his hair, they pasted on a beard, and they had uh 75 conversations and uh then he went to Barbados while everybody else finished shooting the season. Yeah, maybe. I it seems like it would be an efficient way to do it if they've written the whole thing. And, and he doesn't get out of the cell, right? If he doesn't get out of the cell, he doesn't have to interact with anybody else other than these select few characters, and they can just, you know, film those conversations, and then he can uh, collect his check and bugger off to wherever he wants <laughs> and do another uh, Rampage movie. Sounds like a pretty good deal to me. Yep. Yeah. All right. We go over to Anne slash Jadis, and she has Father Gabe tied to a rolling dolly in the junkyard. And she's got a walker tied to an upright dolly, which we've kind of seen her do before. So she leans the walker down over Father Gabe and hovers it just above his face. While this is happening, they're talking about how she made him a better person and how she doesn't have to do this. That's basically what he's saying. And, you know, he says, you've changed, Anne. You've changed. You're one of us now. You don't have to do this. But she disagrees. Um, and she says she hasn't been able to move on from her past. Uh, and then after he tells her that it's, you know, it's his fault that she feels she couldn't change, he forgives her, and then she pulls the zombie away, and I guess chloroforms him with a rag over his mouth, because he goes unconscious again. Yeah, I assume so. Chloroform takes a long time, by the way. You can't just put it over somebody's mouth and they pass out. It takes like five minutes. Oh, really? Yeah. Like they have to just constantly be breathing it, and then they finally pass out? Yeah, it takes a long time. Like, all that shit is completely fake. You can't, like, even if you have real chloroform, you can't just go up, walk behind somebody and, you know, chloroform them and they pass out. Well, that's funny because Not a thing. the only thing I know about it is what I've learned from movies and TV shows, and it seems like it happens almost instantly. Yeah, that's totally no way. Like, oh. it, you have to be willing to sit there for a few minutes while somebody chloroforms you. Or restrained somehow. Uh, or completely restrained, restrained Which he yeah. was, to be fair. So maybe he, she held it over his face for much longer than we actually saw. Yeah, maybe. It's, you know, there's an edit there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think now, so. have you ever taken a person and uh, rooted their feet to something and then tried to lean them over like almost 90 degrees and then pick them back up? Well, um, in a way, like with the kids, you know, you kind of yeah. do a... Uh, an arm thing and you can lean them over and, and pull them back up. Yeah, sort of. Yeah. Did they weigh, you know, 180 pounds? Uh, no, my kids, even the older one at this point weighs only about 80 pounds. Right. Yeah. My, my point is probably pretty hard to do that. And she did that with the zombies. So it raises the question, do zombies retain their, the liquid or do they just, does all the liquid like drain out eventually and they just become this husk of, uh, of what is used to be flesh and they become like paper light. Yeah, this this came up not too long ago, didn't it? Oh, with, with Morgan swinging the zombie off the roof on fear, right? So <laughs> oh, the zombie would have been really, really light. Um, I think they do lose a bunch of their liquid. Honestly, it kind of looks like they lose a lot of their flesh too sometimes. So they could be a lot lighter. Okay. Well, but I you- sure hope so because uh, she wouldn't have been able to do that. I wouldn't have been able to do that. Uh, maybe Justin would be able to do that because, you know, he's a bit of a buff dude. And you're in love with that him. Guy up. Why do yeah. I keep bringing that guy up? You're in love with him. I Well, not really. 
Oh, okay. You know, he, it's not like he's a uh, John Dory or a Simon or anything. I just saw him in one other show, and his character was mildly in- interesting. Oh, well, that's yeah. all it takes for you, I guess. I guess so, but <laughs> I keep bringing him up. Anyway, uh, so the chloroform thing out the window, leaning the zombie over. Uh, let's say it's doable uh, based on the amount of liquid the human body loses once it becomes zombified. Mm-hmm. Okay, fair enough. It didn't occur to me as a problem, but i that's what you're here for. Uh, Bill in Indiana sent in a holy crap about something I didn't really notice in this scene until he wrote this. He says, listen, holy crap, the pearl necklace on Anne's zombie makes me think this was a callback to something, but exactly what? I don't know. Any thoughts, you idiots? Well, I appreciate the listen, you idiots thing. The pearl necklace... It seems like it should be a callback to something, but my brain is not remembering something. Yeah, I don't think so either. I, I I don't know that it is really. It's just there. It didn't jump out at me the first time, but it is definitely a, a necklace of pearls around that zombie's neck. So I think yeah, it's just probably dressed up. Yeah, That's nice. Yeah, exactly. Maybe that person became a zombie when they were on their way to the opera or something like that, and yeah, wanted to look I mean, nice. It reminds me of uh, how memory works, right? You actually have two parts of memory. You have the, hey, your brain going, hey, I have a memory for this. And then you access the memory, right? And every once in a while, your brain goes, hey, I have a memory for this. And there's no associated memory. And that's what deja vu is. It's like, shit, this seems really familiar, but I don't really have a memory of this. But I think I should. Shouldn't I? Yeah, I don't, like it. I don't know why. So, yeah. I don't know why. So that's, you know, we have a really crappy memory as human beings. Uh, so, yeah, it seems like there should be a callback, but I don't know what yeah. from what. And I can think of other movies that have pearl necklaces. I'm sure you can, but uh, <laughs> that doesn't relate to this. <laughs> it really doesn't. Uh, so anyway. then again, we have, uh, we have the callback to MASH with the signpost saying Toledo and uh-huh. HQ and all the different areas. That's MASH. That has nothing to do with this, but it, that's definitely a callback to something. Well, I call that not a callback. I call that a reference. A callback has to be within uh, the same yeah. property, I think. So if there's a pearl necklace reference here, I, I'm not getting it either. I think it was just a fancy way to dress up a zombie in a, a good prop or costuming choice. You know? Well, it might have been uh, something to use to gr- add tension, like the dangly thing. So it mm-hmm. seems like it's getting a little, it's getting closer and closer and closer because, oh my God, you're going to, it's going to touch me with the pearl necklace. And then if the pearl necklace touches me, that means we're very, very close together. Yeah. No, you're right. That's a good idea. It's dangling down, just about to go in his mouth or something. Yeah. Gross. Yeah. So oh. Zombies drool. Yeah, am I thinking predators? Uh, well, <laughs> no, I don't know. Uh, I think zombies drool. Uh, I think... Um, uh, that zombie drool in your mouth would be super gross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I watched By a little anybody. bit... I watched a little anybody. bit of Talking Dead, AMC's show after, and Seth Gilliam was on talking about that scene, and I think he talked about having that, that actor in the zombie makeup can hold some liquid in, in its mouth to like drool out and it kind of drooled all over him and it was all really gross. So I don't know if that yeah. really made it into the episode cause it didn't look like it, but it does sound disgusting. Yeah, that would be disgusting. Okay. Let's continue. We go from a commercial break. We come back and the saviors who took off are coming through the forest back to the bridge camp. And we see Carol and Jerry, they're packing up weapons to head back to kingdom. But Carol suddenly sees 
seems to see them coming and everybody kind of just shows up with their guns drawn and we find out that Jed took Alden's gun because as we know Carol sent Alden out to go find them um does this mean Alden is dead do you think Jed killed him and took his gun oh Alden's not dead Uh, you can't just kill Alden off screen I think that would be crazy too but I mean Jed's the kind of guy that might at least from what we know about him right yeah but they'd show us Right, they wouldn't just say, "Oh, he's dead." They'd show us. It's not like they would take. It's not like Heath, where they just kind of remove him from the show and never see him again. Right? They're not going to do that. Well, Heath will come back, right? I I think Heath will come back. Yeah, but I I did I found this a little jarring. Like we we suddenly are back at the camp and the saviors are coming back, but we don't know what happened in between. It was a bit of a yada yada moment, and I was a little confused about what was going on here at first. So. Um, but basically what happened, I think is Alden went to find them. Jed figured it out. He took him out, hopefully didn't kill him, but he did take his gun. So Jed comes back talking to Carol. He says that he now knows that Oceanside was killing him, killing them. So I'm not sure how he knows that. Well, that's my question from earlier. Yeah. Like, all of a sudden, this is not a secret any- anymore. Everybody knows it. How did it get out? Right. Did I'm, Maggie tell everybody? Did Daryl? I don't know. Rick didn't know when they were in the hole. I don't know how Jed knows unless Alden told him. But then it raises the question, how did Alden know? Does, did he know? Well, yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't know. It It's just, I think they yada yada over that secret. I think so, too. I think so. So... Maybe it'll come out, maybe it won't. I don't know. It did make for a slightly confusing scene. But Jed calls this a war again, uh, which I really hope is not actually where we're going here. Um, But he says that he, you know, they're going to get what's coming to them, meaning the Oceanside people. Uh, So basically he's here to get his weapons back. So Carol lowers her gun. He goes to take her keys. But when he looks away, she kicks him in the leg. And then as... Chaos is breaking loose. We see Regina and some of the other saviors come out of the woods. Gunshots are heard, and we immediately cut away to Rick and Daryl in the hole again. So I thought this whole scene was a little bit weird and out of place because it didn't feel like it connected the dots very well for me. Maybe we'll get that next time. Maybe the next episode will be a layering of uh, stuff we missed and stuff we've seen. Sure. I mean, overall, I think they've done an amazing job all season telling the story. This is the first time it really felt like it didn't quite work for me. Um, but but again, I think it just barely held together, right? I, I can't say that I didn't totally understand what was going on. So it's, it's not terrible. But it's the first time it kind of fell apart a little bit. Anyways, Daryl and Rick are in the hole. They hear the shooting. So this is when they decide that they really have to start trying to work together to get out of this thing. And Daryl boosts Rick up and he grabs one of the thicker hanging roots from closer to the surface, Um, which also told me that this hole is not very far away from the camp because they could hear Uh the gunshots. It's right there. It's it's right outside the camp. So I don't know. Is this the hole they dug for a latrine? Maybe, well, I was thinking, I started thinking that maybe this hole was related to the bridge construction somehow. They were digging dirt and moving it somewhere for some other purpose. Okay, which raises the question, uh, how far away is the camp from the river? Uh, I don't think it's that far. It's just down the road a little bit. Yeah, okay. So you're familiar with water tables, right? Yes. Okay, so a river 
means that the water table is pretty high or pretty close to the surface of uh, the surrounding area, which means if you dig a hole three stories deep near a river, it's going to fill with water. I guess, but I, what does near mean? Like, hey, this hole might not have been that close to it. It could have been a kilometer away from the river. Right. Wow, it's like digging a well. That's a pretty deep hole not to have, and pretty straight sides not to have the whole thing collapse and or fill with water, or at least be a little bit wet. There was no dampness inside that hole whatsoever. No, I It's know. a magic hole, I'm telling you. Okay, fair enough. But I think for some reason it could have been related to the construction, which would explain at least why it's there. No, it wouldn't. What the hell do you need a hole to build a bridge for? I don't explain know. Explain that to me. You need dirt. Maybe, maybe they were... Building and a so dam. they dig, dig one hole, like <laughs> one deep, three-story deep hole. Why not just like dig a trench or like a, you know, a quarry, like a, like a big open pit of something or other where you can get some dirt out by human means rather than having to lift it three stories directly up. I understand. I'm just trying to put it all together in my brain. Okay. If, if somebody knows anything about bridge construction, if you're building a bridge, do you need a hole nowhere near the bridge nope. in order to build that? An empty hole, like not a filled hole with like wood or scrap or poop or whatever. Like if it was a latrine, they're expecting a lot of poop. Uh, yeah, I guess they are. <laughs> you don't want to be stuck down in there. You don't need such no, a wide absolutely hole. absolutely not. Yeah. No, going into an outhouse hole is, well, unless you absolutely have to, don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> I can't think of many reasons to do that. Uh, but maybe, I can think of a couple. Maybe there's one none, or two. None are good. Yeah. Okay, let's let's keep going here. Uh, what do we got? We go back to Michonne, and she is at home. She's agitated. She's trying to work. It's not really going so well. She looks at her sword, then goes to the kitchen, and she arrives back at the at Negan's cell with a sandwich, and she wants to know why he said all those things about you know her son and children and stuff like that. And he says that they're the same, and she hates that fact, but she says the difference is she doesn't take pleasure in doing the bad things like he does. Um, and ultimately, he kind of says that she must be afraid she's going to end up like him. And then he takes a bite of the sandwich. So that's very important. Yeah. Right? He's actually eating now. Um, and before she's trying to leave... He asks her to see Lucille. He says he needs to see Lucille. But Michonne says they don't have it, and this really seems to piss him off, and he starts to lose it. So all of this, to me, was, yeah, Negan trying to manipulate her and get information, but mostly I think he wanted to find out where his bat was and if he could see it. So when she says that um, they don't have it, he says... I'm going to need to see my Lucille. And then he starts banging his head against the wall and it's dark, but you can hear squelchy noises like blood dripping yeah. and stuff. So he's hurting himself. So what did this remind you of? Oh, uh, I don't know. What did it remind me of? Bilbo in the ring. Uh, okay. Uh, can I see my, can I see my ring just one last time? Yeah. And Frodo says no. And then he gets all crazy. Uh, yeah, this is, uh, he definitely has a, uh, a one ring relationship with Lucille, which makes me think that Lucille's sentient. I've been saying this all along. You have. Uh, so this, uh, I think this kind of adds to the proof. And then he starts banging his head against the wall. And the first thing I did when I saw that was I yelled at the TV, be careful. Your head is squishy. 
in this universe. Uh-huh. Don't hit it too hard or that wall is going to go right through your skull. Yes, it is. And it sounded like it had started. So, yeah, uh, he must have died. Well, he must have killed himself. Right. Yeah, that that must have been suicide. <laughs> I, I have to assume just the state of people's heads in this uh, universe and the walls are pretty are still as hard as they used to be. As far as I we assume. know. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, he's dead. OK. Well, Negan's obviously dead. Uh, and if not, <laughs> he's clearly starting to lose it. Like, yeah, not a normal person does not bash their head against the wall that hard because they can't see their baseball bat. But Negan's Negan. Well, yeah. I mean, there's probably some kind of chemical imbalance there. Sure, sure. I'm sure there probably is. Yeah, don't talk to crazy. He's crazy. Don't talk to him. Nothing good can come of it. I keep yelling at the TV. Nobody's listening to me. <laughs> Just keep trying, Jason. Maybe they will yeah. one of these days. <laughs> that makes me crazy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. After a commercial break, we are back with uh, our buddies in the hole. Zombies start falling in. Daryl's hanging from the edge. Uh, but uh, Sorry, Rick is hanging from the edge, but Daryl's still down there. So Daryl's killing them. And then he uses the bodies. He stacks them up to boost himself up to another route. More zombies keep falling in. Uh, after a little while, Rick manages to make it out, but Daryl is still struggling. And so Rick reaches down with his hand and says, brother, take my hand. <laughs> and, you know, after a few tries, they manage to lock arms and Rick pulls him out and they immediately have to fight off some more zombies. Yay, they're best friends forever again. So they are definitely best friends forever. The whole brother thing harkened back a couple seasons ago when Rick called Daryl brother once before, which is nice. Um, and I thought this easily could have been really cheesy, but it didn't bother me at all. I really, really liked the way this played out. And it, I think that might be a testament to not only the writing, but, you know, Andrew Lincoln, the guy knows what the hell he's doing when it comes to acting. And... I think Daryl has been better on screen this season than he has been in a long time. So, yep. you know, it, it worked really well. And, and you know, the whole thing illustrated how these two guys can disagree. But when push comes to shove, they are still on the same team. And that's... Well, I mean, push did come to shove, and that's how they got in the hole in the first place. Right. And then they worked it out. And now look at them. They're brothers, man. That kind of... Uh, storytelling and message and attitude towards these characters is what was missing from the last few seasons. But right. in this one scene, I feel like they made the whole relationship work and it said more about these characters and what they've been through and just the story that they're trying to tell than anything in the last couple of years did. So that's kind of why when I project back to their little slap fight that made them fall in the hole to begin with, it doesn't bother me at all because look at what we got out of it. Something so much greater. Right. Well, fighting will get you in the hole and friendship will get you out. That's a, that's a good motto to live by, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, every time you get out of a hole, your uh, trusty steed arrives from nowhere. Well, that's it. Uh, they immediately get out onto the road and there's lots of walkers coming. Daryl goes for his motorcycle, but the horse is there. The trusty yep. steed. And Rick decides that he's going to lead them away from the camp because there were some gunshots and now they're being either heading towards the camp. Daryl suggests that they lead them to the bridge, which will collapse and wash them all out to sea. Sounds like a great plan, except that you have to sacrifice the bridge, which Rick is unwilling to do. Uh, the bridge is doomed anyway. I mean, we know that, right? I, the water's going to wash the moorings away and the whole yeah. thing's going to float down the river. Right, which makes Rick's plan 
or, you know, refusal to do that a little bit silly, but, you know, he's just unwilling to let go. He can't let go. He needs to continue striving for what he sees as the right thing to do. Yeah. That's basically what we got. Why is the horse there? How'd the horse get there? It just showed up? Uh, and no, it just never left. I mean, no, he didn't have the horse. Daryl was giving him a ride on the motorcycle. Oh, yeah, the horse yeah, yeah. was back at the camp. Okay, why so, is the horse here? So they're not that far from the camp, I guess. And the horse just came by. <laughs> That's one hell of a horse. Hey, man, to be able to, you know, there's gunshots happening around there. I better go find Rick because I like that guy. He he, you know, he brushes my coat just the right way. Maybe the horse was spooked by the gunshots, ran off, and that's why he's yeah. out here by them. And, he, and ran in a random direction, ended up right next to the hole hey, precisely when he was needed. Random can be exactly the right direction. Random is random. You never know. Yeah. It makes me want to play Red Dead Redemption 2 because your horse, uh, you bond with your horse and it gets smart like this. We'll see. In the game. And I've read recently that uh, in cold weather, weather, your horse's balls will shrink. <laughs> that's a hell of a game that's, when they do that. That's extremely important in a video game, yeah. It yeah. makes me want to play it <laughs> so I can keep an eye on those horse's balls. Yep. Uh, well, anyways, Rick says he won't sacrifice the bridge and he's going to get on horseback to go do something. Daryl basically realizes he can't talk him out of it, so he gets on his bike, but before he leaves, he says, be safe. We quickly go back to Father Gabe. He wakes up in a storage container from his little chloroform nap. When he goes outside, Anne is gone, and he finds a note in his pocket that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. I need to go fast. So she's left, and she's decided to leave him there, regardless of whatever deal she had with these helicopter people. Well, that's nice. Yeah. Sort of. She's kind of lost his love. Well, for now. Yeah, exactly. But she's kind of spared him, which is okay. Uh, Michonne. It made, me th- it made me think of Right Said Fred. You know that band? Yes. Uh, I'm too sexy for my shirt. Uh-huh. I'm so sexy, my love, love is going to leave me. He's just, Father Gabriel's just too sexy. I guess so. <laughs> That's a weird thing to come up in this scene, but sure, why not? He's bald. Father Gabe is bald. The the guy, Right Said Fred, they're, they still tour. Probably. Oh my God, they still tour. I'd love to go see Right Said Fred in, in concert. Well, they're probably sick of playing uh, I'm Too Sexy, but still one of my favorite songs of all time. I just, it, it occurred to me that uh, he was too sexy for his love. Okay. His love is going to leave him. Okay. Well, I don't know. Maybe he, maybe they'll find each other some other, day, some other time. Uh, Michonne, quickly, we get to her. She's reading a book about baseball to Judith, and she gets to, to a picture of a bat. It upsets her, so she stops reading. Well, like, she doesn't know that. Right? Like how, you know, you pick up a book and read it to your kids. You've read it a thousand times before. Yeah, I right? know. You know the book is about baseball. You know there's a baseball bat in that. If you have a problem with baseball bats, pick a different story. Man. I know. It, it was a little cheesy, but maybe she's just recently become traumatized by baseball bats because of what she had to do out in the rain at the beginning and then because of her conversations with Negan, but... I get it. It was There's a book. There's a book I can't read to Jasper. Was, I've tried a couple of times. I can't get all the way through it. I just I start crying. Okay. Well, I'll tell you later what book that is. Oh, and people are going to want to know now. So, Well, you... I don't know the name of it. It's uh, I think it's something like My Love Will Follow You kind of thing. Oh. And, is it uh, To the Moon book... and Back or whatever that one no, is? No, not To the Moon and Back, but uh I'm getting a little choked up even just thinking about it. But it the the story the book is about 
I will love you always, regardless of what you do, where you go. You could go all the way to the moon. Yeah, I think it might be that thing. I can't get I can't get through it. I can't get through it. Okay. So I got to stay away from that book if I want to be able to actually have a conversation with uh, with my son while I'm reading him stories. Well, wait until someday when he can read it to you. Then tell me how you feel. Yeah. All so right. anyway, <laughs> there are books that you know to stay away from when you're reading to someone. Uh, you know, this book is about baseball. If you have a problem with baseball bats, pick a different book. Yeah. You know, there's probably a Thomas the Tank, the Thomas the Train Engines book somewhere. Something, yeah. In, in Alexandria. You know, pick that book up unless you've got a problem with trains as well. Maybe. Some people have a problem with the faces on those trains. They're kind of weird, man. Anyways, we don't want to go down that road. <laughs> yeah, we, we could do a whole podcast on children's books. Probably. Little Blue Truck. That's a good book. All right. Maggie and Diane are still on horseback, so they've never, they haven't even made it to Alexandria yet, but they pass by some dead walkers, one with a hatchet in its back. Is this supposed to be Rick's hatchet? I don't know. Rick's pretty attached to his hatchet, so bring the hatchet with you, especially after, like, that zombie with the hatchet in his back didn't have a head. No. So somebody cut off the, the head of the, of the zombie and then put a hatchet in its back, or the hatchet went into the back and they weren't able to get it out. But but I'm wondering I'm wondering what the point of this scene is. Is it is it one just to tell us that well they haven't made it to Alexandria yet, so we know that Negan is still in that cell, or is this an indicator to Maggie that something went wrong with the Rick and Daryl part of the plan and they're in trouble now? Because this also could be remains like there's some headless zombies here. There's two of the three zombies in this shot are headless, yeah. which means somebody with some kind of head severing. Katana maybe mm-hmm. has been nearby. Mm-hmm. So this might've been the leavings of Michonne, but why would there be a hatchet? That's what I don't know. So I think they're trying to tell us that, um, that Maggie now knows that something went wrong with what Daryl was doing, but basically she knows he was supposed to delay Rick so he couldn't get back to Alexandria, but she now knows that maybe they're in trouble. So she's going to alter her plan and not go straight to Alexandria. I don't know. I don't think it was totally clear, but maybe that's just me kind of overthinking it. I'm not sure. Well, it is confusing. The the headless zombies and uh, the hatchet in the back doesn't make any sense. No. So I, I think maybe the if you ignore the headless part, it's supposed to be Rick's hatchet and it's yep. giving Maggie information. Right. Let's go but with that. But if you ignore the hatchet and you just focus on the headless part, it's Michonne leaving garbage lying around after she was done her... Or Batmaning. Sure, which I don't see really the point of revealing that to Maggie, but who knows? No. This is a weird scene. It is. And uh, there, I, I, can't, I can't put together put together a story based on the forensic ev- evidence that I have here. I don't know what the narrative is. All right. Well, maybe we don't have enough information yet, and we will get it. Uh, we get a quick shot of Daryl riding the motorcycle, so he's still on his way. And then we go right back to Rick leading the zombies away. He comes to an intersection and there are zombies approaching from basically all directions, or at least two out of the, two out of the four directions. <laughs> Tybalt and what is it? Cornelius? And Cordelia, I think. Cordelia. Yeah. They're, are, they're merging now. Are merging. Cause they also mentioned that in, when they were in the hole, when they heard the gunshots, they're saying, oh, that's going to call the herds mm-hmm. or the zombies. Right. So that's the instigating factor for bringing these two herds together, which we knew was going to happen by the foreshadowing of, uh, uh, the armored pierogi there. Eugene. Yes. So that's exactly what's happening. Rick doesn't really know what to do. The horse gets spooked. 
It bucks him off. He falls backwards and lands on a large concrete block. And although they delay gratification for a second there, it is quickly revealed that he has a piece of rebar sticking through his abdomen, basically in his back, out the front of him. And he appears to pass out while we get a wide shot of all the walkers approaching and getting pretty damn close. And there he is, wounded very badly and seemingly unconscious. And his goddamn horse took off. And the horse took off, except James in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania writes, Holy crap, that damn bipolar horse. As I was enjoying the visual of the walker herds approaching the camp and Rick, I can't help but wonder what uh, excuses it was, what breathing, sorry, what breathing exercises it was doing to stand calmly by the side of the road in the final shot when it was agitated enough to buck Rick off merely moments before. Yeah, it's a crazy horse. As the camera pans out, there's the horse just standing there. So as the camera pans out, pans out, I'm confused by this whole scene as well, like the whole staging of this thing. There's a pile of rocks uh, or a pile of concrete that's broken down with rebar sticking in all kinds of directions. We see that there is a bunch of cinder blocks. And then as we go really far out, we see that there's actually construction going on. There's like uh, concrete pillars mm-hmm. with rebar sticking straight up and it looks like a construction site, but the entire construction site is all made of grass. Well, when was the last time you saw a construction site that was like basically filled in with grass and then let go fallow? Well, but couldn't it be a construction site from three years ago that has now overgrown with grass? But it, it just, it looks like these pillars that just were placed in a field. Okay. Well, I don't know. Maybe they were building a bypass for the nearby highway and they never got very far. They would dig the whole thing out and then put down f- footings and <laughs> foundations and stuff and then start building building pillars. They wouldn't dig the whole thing out, put down the foundations uh, and the uh, the footings, and then fill the whole thing in again and then wait. I don't know, man. I think uh, who knows? Who knows what was going on? Maybe they were building some sort of concrete fence. I don't know. Uh, I think it's much more worrisome that Rick is now – Got rebar oh, yeah. through his... focus on the yeah. Uh, okay, so there's two things about that now. Okay, so Rick is in imminent peril. Yes, he's like getting off of that piece of rebar is going to require some assistance. He's not going to be able to climb off that thing. Which is why I think that they 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 included the scene with Maggie seeing his hatchet because she's like, oh my god, they're in trouble, and she's going to come to the rescue. Okay, so does he have his hatchet? Let's watch and see. Okay, so the the thing is he's pinned to this, this uh, concrete block with a piece of rebar, and so he's not going to be able to climb off himself. The other thing is if this is Rick's close to final place in the story, mm-hmm. like we know Andrew Lincoln's leaving and you have a magic number of how many episodes he has left, but uh, you just revealed that you think that Maggie's going to save him, which means there's probably a l- number larger than zero. So... Uh, anyway, I'm all putting it all together, but, uh, if I was thinking if this is really, uh, an important scene for Rick's peril, the special effects were not well done. Like that rebar was obviously off to the side of his actual abdomen and it looked like it was just punctured his shirt and his shirt started bleeding. I I thought it looked like it went through his body. No. No? It didn't. No. 
Okay. Oh, absolutely. Even not. in they the overhead done shot? They could have done, yeah, even the overhead shot. I mean, it was obviously off to the side, but they could have, they could have done better. So are you, I mean, are you saying that maybe it's actually not punctured? Like no, he's not. I mean, he's, it's actually punctured. I'm complaining about the special effects. Okay. Fair enough. I think that they could have done better for such an important scene for Andrew Lincoln if it is an important scene for Andrew Lincoln and Rick Grimes. Got it. Okay. So, which makes me think two things. <clears throat> One, it's not that important and he's going to get saved, but uh, he's definitely stuck there until somebody helps him. There's no way he could climb off that thing. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. So, I think he, I think that's maybe what is the reason for Maggie's scene. Right, uh, wanna... You know? Can you see his hatchet? I, I can't tell if he has his hatchet or not. It's on the left-hand side. No, it's on the right-hand side. I don't see a hatchet, so... Okay. But so I think we may be, be hidden, or uh, it's buried in the back of a walker, which tells Maggie exactly where he is. Right. Somehow. <laughs> of course. <laughs> He's near the hole that I dug. Yeah, exactly. For, for, uh, for her son. There's a play hole. It's a not, play. A, not an exercise hole. It was a play hole for her son. I'm going to dig you the biggest hole ever you can play in. Hey, man, when you go to the beach, some kids want to dig the biggest hole ever, right? Yeah. Uh, okay. So a- anything else about that final scene? Nope. All right. Uh, I thought this was another good episode. I think it was probably my least favorite of season nine so far, but, you know, that is... Uh, Season nine has been so good that even when the episode isn't quite there, it's still, in my opinion, really good. So I think they they nailed another one. Um, we've sort of already talked about how it was very convenient to get Rick and Daryl stuck in that hole. Um, but that's a note I made here. No explanation as to why it was there, who dug it, etc., except for all of the explanations you've come up with in the last hour. Um, uh Let's see, other notes I had about this episode. It was weird the way the Saviors showed up back at the camp. It was kind of out of place. Wait a um, minute, why did they go back to the camp? To get a gun? To get, get guns? guns, to get their weapons, yeah. All right. Yeah, it's just the it, the way it was cut into the episode felt a little awkward, and the fact that they didn't uh, show them interacting with Alden in any way. It, after they mentioned it, Carol said, oh, I sent Alden, and then we don't find out what happens. Right, right. Which I felt if a bit you weird. were, uh, if you were a group of people, yes, <laughs> that's kind of a weird way to start a sentence. Uh-huh. But uh, if you were a group of people and you were, uh, you wanted to go back to a camp of people that had guns to get some guns, when would you go? Would you go in the middle of the day when everybody's up and ready to point guns at you, or would you go in the middle of the night, maybe sneak up on them? I think maybe sneaking up on them might be the right thing to do. Okay, so these guys are a bunch of idiots is basically what it boils down to. Well, there is that, yeah. <laughs> they, they didn't really think through their plan, but, you know, I don't know. So. Are people stupid, like, in just in general? Uh, you know. I know, indiv- in, you know, individuals are fairly intelligent. People are stupid. Uh, yes, yes, as a big mob, generally they're not so smart. All right, because everybody in this episode seems to be making idiotic decisions. Uh, I, I talk, talking to, to Negan. Yeah. Uh, going back to get some guns in the middle of the day. Falling down holes. Uh, well, that's not really a bad decision. No. But the horse made a bad decision. It should have ran the other way. <laughs> should have just got the hell out of there, right? Yeah, get the hell out of there. Maybe it was, uh, 
concerned about having the saddle on. It's like, oh my God, nobody's going to take this saddle off me. I better go to that guy that takes the saddle off me so he can take the saddle off me. Oh my God, he got on my back. I don't want him on my back. This place is scary. I'm going to get him off my back. Crap. He's fallen down and he's not able to get up. I better not go anywhere because he needs to take the saddle off me. <laughs> the amount of narrative you have invented for this horse is really <laughs> astounding. Horses are very intelligent. I know. I love horses, but... You don't really follow their stories very often. <laughs> uh, except for Bill. Or uh, Black Beauty. <laughs> remember Black Beauty? Black Beauty, yeah. I never saw the movie, but I remember it. Bill was the uh, was the donkey in Lord of the Rings. Oh, of course. Not a and, horse. Uh, when they went into Moria, the mines of Moria, and they got rid of they sold Bill to, uh, they couldn't take him into the mines, and they just let him go. In the book, it, in the uh, Lord of the Rings novels, it said that Bill had many event- adventures over the years and eventually found his way back to the Shire. Oh, good. Well, that's, I'm glad he had that many adventures. And so you don't have to worry about Bill. Okay. Well, I got two more two more points before we, we wrap it up here. Number one, Victor in Rio Verde, Brazil wrote, holy crap, is it just me? Or did the final scene of this episode remind uh, me of the final scene for the pilot episode? It's so sad that Glenn isn't there to save Rick this time. And oh. what I... What I uh, realized what he's saying there is, I mean, the final scene of the pilot is Rick stuck in the tank and then he gets the radio call from Glenn. Remember way back in the day? Yep. Um, but what it really is, is it's kind of Rick stuck somewhere in a bad situation. And then we get an overhead shot with zombies approaching from, well, the tank, they were all around the tank. In this case, they're approaching. But even before that, Rick is on horseback in Atlanta and every street he turns down, there's a wall of zombies coming at him, kind of like what he experienced at this crossroads before he got knocked off the horse. Oh, so the uh, the concrete block with the rebar has an escape hatch. It must. He he's gonna have to. He's gonna climb through the escape hatch somehow and get out of harm's way. Okay, good. I was worried there for a little bit. Okay, good. Uh, thank you, Victor, for that one. Um, finally, Matt from cold, but not Canada cold, South Wales Valleys. Holy crap, The Walking Dead is actually brilliant again. I've stuck with the show for every series and all the episodes, and thus far, I haven't enjoyed a series this much for a long time. So Matt's just saying that season nine has been excellent, and I agree. Yeah, I agree as well. Um, and then the one other point I wanted to make about this episode before we leave or move on is that I got to admit, Jason, I'm finding myself less and less interested in the Father Gabe stuff and, and Jada stuff. Oh, yes. It's to me. I mean, Fa- Father Gabe has always been kind of a bummer for me. Yeah. Like he's always, I've never really liked the Father Gabe storylines. And over the years, I think I've secretly hoped that he would die. <laughs> and then yeah. he found love with uh, with Anne. And I thought, oh, he's finally getting interesting. He can have a relationship. He can be a better person and not be a moron. And then Anne just likes, nah, screw you, I'm leaving. Yeah, well, it's really, and I said this last week, it's really starting to feel like that whole thing is just kind of filler or setup for something that's coming later. And I'm just not into it right now. Like, I feel like the show's doing so many other interesting things that... I don't care what Father Gabe and Anne is doing. I don't even, I'm not even worried about the helicopter people or, and who they are, if they're related to Georgie or if they're totally somebody else. I'm just like, all right, great. Get back to what's going on in the hole or somewhere else. You know, I don't need to see them talking about trading people or, or whatnot. So, um, yeah, that was sort of a, a downer for this episode, but the rest of it, for the most part, 
another another great show. And uh, well, maybe boy. Father Gabe will die in the next episode, saving Rick. Maybe, maybe he runs. You know, maybe that crossroads is right on the way between the junkyard and Alexandria. So he's going to run up right now, find him, pull him off, and everybody will be fine. Right next to uh, maybe Father Gabe dug a hole. Maybe it's a, a church hole. <laughs> yes, he's planning on an underground church. Sure, a vertical entrance. <laughs> once you once you're in, you can never leave. Just like his original church. Hey, if you go in, all you can do is ascend to heaven. Oh boy, <laughs> that's the only way out. <laughs> All right. Thank you for tuning in, everyone. That has been our recap of Season 9, Episode 4, called The Obliged. We will be back later this week on Thursday evening with our feedback show. So if there's anything here that needs clarification or you really disagree with something or agree with things, write in and let us know. We'll record the feedback show on Thursday night. Uh, you can get in touch and send that feedback by sending email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. You can also visit our website, talkingdeadpodcast.com, and clicking on send voicemail in the top corner. Or like as I, like I always say, just um, record a message into your phone or some other recording device and then email it to us. That is a great way to get solid quality audio. You can also find us on Twitter at Talking Dead or on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Talking Dead. So until later in the week, everyone, when we do the feedback show, thank you so much. My name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye. 